Hey, Madison Church, my name is Jake, and I'm excited to be joining you for week two of our series, Who Needs Christmas? Christmas is getting closer and closer. The weather has definitely turned to winter. It's why I grew this beard to keep my face warm. The other day, Stephen saw a picture on Instagram and asked how cold it was because we were dressed like this. And I had to sheepishly tell him that we have reached all the way down into the mid-50s. I know that's a t-shirt weather for you guys, but you have to remember that just a few months ago, it was like 60 degrees hotter here in Las Vegas. So the weather is changing. Decorations are up. Christmas songs are on the radio. Christmas is coming. But who needs Christmas? The story of Christmas, the story that we find in the New Testament, the details surrounding the birth of Jesus as an adult coming into this story, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, if you left your childhood faith, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, they're really pretty unbelievable. It's unbelievable because things like that just don't happen anymore. And so you read these stories and you're like, I know this is supposed to be inspirational, the manger scene and the whole Christmas thing, but it's just unbelievable. But what we began to discover last week as we launched into this series, Who Needs Christmas, is that God has been involved in this Christmas story for a very long time. Because the Christmas story doesn't begin with a young couple trying to figure out where to have a baby. It begins with an old couple wondering if they'll ever have a baby. It doesn't begin with a young couple who's trying to figure out how in the world they got pregnant. It begins with an old couple that are pretty sure they're never going to get pregnant. And yet God appears to this gentleman, Abraham, 2,000 years before the birth of Christ and makes him a promise in the book of Genesis, not Matthew or Luke, but all the way back in Genesis. And this promise is that Through you, Abraham, every single nation, every single tribe, every single person is going to be blessed. The entire world is going to be blessed through you. Because apparently God believed the world needed to be blessed. So God made this extraordinary promise because the world needed Christmas. But it wasn't just the world that needed Christmas. And this is going to sound strange, but, but God needed Christmas as well. Let me try to explain that. Parents, you've had this feeling or this thought, and if you aren't a parent, your parents had this thought or this feeling. If you had good parents or even one good parent, and it goes like this. I sure wish my kids understood how much I love them. I sure wish my kids understood how much I cared for them. I sure wish my kids would stop believing that I lay in bed at night trying to come up with ways to make their life miserable. I wish that my kids could hear what I ask them to do and to not do within the context of the fact that I really do have their best interest in mind. Because if they knew how I felt about them, they would trust me. Every parent has had that internal conversation. And I know that parents don't always get it exactly right. I remember one Christmas, I asked for a skateboard. Now, this was back when I feel like skateboarding was really starting to get into our culture. Right around when the X Games were starting and Tony Hawk was a massive figure. And I wanted a cool skateboard to do ollies and kickflips. And so my parents were great. They, They loved me. They saw me and heard me. And they wanted to get me a skateboard for Christmas. Well, on Christmas morning, I opened the gift and it was a skateboard, but it was completely wrong. 
It wasn't cool at all. The deck was terrible, very little kiddish, and had the giant, like the giant roller skate wheels on it. Not the cool small wheels for doing tricks. It was so disappointing. And now that I'm a parent of a preteen, I understand how quickly your kid starts to think you're out of touch. The other day, my oldest daughter was saying that she might want some clothes for Christmas. And I asked her, do I get to pick the clothes or do you want to pick the clothes? And she said, I don't trust you to pick out the clothes. What? Her mother and I have picked out and bought her clothes for her entire life. But now in the flip of a switch, we can't be trusted anymore. So I get that parents don't always get it right, but I know my parents tried. They heard and saw me and did their best. I try with my kids. I'm hearing that the best I can bring to the table is my wallet and not my fashion sense. Well, apparently God, your heavenly father, felt the same way. But think about his challenge. It's challenging enough when I'm eyeball to eyeball with a middle schooler or a high school student or a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old trying to get them to trust me that dad has your best interests in mind. What do you do if you're God, the spirit? What do you do if you're the invisible spirit of God? What do you do if you're, you're not tangible? You're almost seemingly unknowable. How does God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the spirit God, how does this spirit God communicate to you and communicate to me how he feels about us, his children in a world, a material world that has turned inward and turned their back on God? And the answer to how in the world the spirit God communicates how much he loves this world and how much he loves you is Christmas. Paul who started off as a Christian hater, became a Jesus follower. He was a Pharisee, very educated, very bright guy. And once he became a follower of Jesus, he began to see the Jewish scriptures differently. And once he knew that God had sent Jesus into the world, he realized that the whole Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, was like a cocoon. It was like God was birthing something brand new into the world. And the Old Testament was basically the story of how God did it. And so he has this aha moment as a Jesus follower where he recognizes, oh my goodness, it's it's different. The story is different. There's a new phase. There's something unexpected. And so in a letter he writes to some Christians and he says, "But, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, when God had things exactly the way he wanted them, when God was ready, when when enough history had gone by and God knew he could get the world's undivided attention, when an expanding empire, the empire of Rome, was exporting a language and a culture and a civilization They had a seaport system, a highway system. There was peace in a region, uh, in parts of the world where there had never been peace. When, When God got to that part of history where things were just the way he needed them to be, 
And in addition to that, there was a failed temple system back in Jerusalem where, where money became more important than morality, where corruption had replaced compassion. A temple system where they believed God was important, but they weren't so sure that the people that were important to God were all that important. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. But here's the question we're going to wrestle with today, because this is the Christmas question. Why? Why did God have to send somebody? Why did God have to send a son? And why did God cram himself into a body? Why God in a body? Why not just send us a messenger? Why not just send us another messenger? But it gets even more complicated. When the, the, set, the, the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so now the question is not just why God in a body, but why God in a baby body? Why show up like the rest of us as one of us and not as a law unto himself, but he comes into this world as a baby under the law. He doesn't walk onto the pages of history and say, now that I'm here, everything's different. He was born under the law, accountable to the law. And then the Apostle Paul tells us, as, as he's looking back, he's seen his own scripture, his own history, everything he had been taught as a young boy. Suddenly he sees it different and he says, now I realize what was going on. When the time was fully set, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, with a very specific purpose, too, in order that, so why did God send Jesus? Why did God need Christmas? It was to do what laws and regulations could not do. It was to do what judges and prophets could not do. It was to do what exile and punishment could not do. It was to do what even sacred text could not accomplish. God was ready to do something personal. So God had to do something relational. God wanted to do something for you personally. And a message or a messenger wouldn't get it done. He wanted to do something personal. And so God needed to do something relational. And in order to get that done, God needed Christmas to redeem those under the law, that we might be received, that we might receive adoption to sonship, that God wanted to move not simply nations and tribes and groups of people, but more individual people into a personal relationship with himself. And so at Christmas, God took the first step to remove all of the obstacles of unrestricted fellowship with God, that all the barriers, all the boundaries would be removed. This was personal, so he had to come. Think about it. It was going to be personal, so God had to come in person. I mean, think about how would we know? How would we know where we stood with God, if God had not come to stand with us? How would we know where we stood with God if God had not come to stand with us? Think about this. How would you know where you stood with God if God did not come to stand with you? A message wouldn't get it done. Another letter wouldn't get it done. Another prophet wouldn't get it done. Another miracle wouldn't get it done. So, at just the right time, when another prophet wouldn't work, when another miracle wouldn't get it done, at just the right time, God 
staged a demonstration. Because we know, and God knows, and we know because God knows that actions speak louder than words, even words written on a page. It had to be a demonstration that would be documented. Again, going back to what I said a minute ago, it had to be a demonstration in history on planet Earth that could be documented in such a way that that hundreds and hundreds and, and thousands of years people would know about it. So think about this. This is unbelievable. In fact, if if you're a skeptic or you're not a Christian and and you've put the whole thing off, it just seems like a fairy tale to you. I, I don't want you to miss the gravity of the history of the story of Christmas. That 4,000 years ago, God promised he would do something through the line of Abraham. 2,000 years later, Jesus is born. And don't miss this. And 2,000 years after Jesus is born, we are still talking about it. And now I want you to think about it while you can, because you don't know. Imagine or, or try to imagine all the things that have happened in history for the last 2,000 years, most of which you know nothing about. I can't name the names. You can't name the dates. You can't give us the details. Many important, significant things have happened in history over the past 2,000 years that weren't even written down. They weren't even recorded. They just went away. And yet think of it. The birth of a Jewish baby in the armpit of the Roman Empire became a household name. When the time had come, when the time was perfect, when God knew it would not slip through the cracks of history, he sent his son into this world, born of a woman, to redeem those under the law so that we might experience sonship, adoption into the family of God. It had to be a demonstration that would be documented. In fact, that's what Paul writes in another letter. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're in the season of gift giving and gift receiving. And all gifts are nice. But every once in a while, you get the perfect gift. And I would say the perfect gift isn't necessarily about getting the exact item or how expensive the gift was, I would say the perfect gift is the one that demonstrates that I have been seen and heard. Someone knows me and they took that knowledge and put it into action. Jesus' death was a demonstration, a demonstration of how much he was for us. But this brings us to another question and this is a question perhaps you've asked you weren't sure if you could ask this out loud. Why in the world did Jesus have to die? It's confusing enough that God crammed himself into a baby body, but why did he have to die? Why such a violent and public demonstration? Why the blood, the gore, the crown of thorns? Why was he beaten? Why did he have to bleed to death publicly? Come on, you've thought of that. Why didn't Jesus just pronounce everybody forgiven. You've thought of this. Couldn't he get them all on the hillside and say, okay, before I go, one last thing. I've talked about it with dad. You're all forgiven. Why, why didn't he just do that? A couple of reasons. 
First, nobody would have believed him. In fact, in the Gospels, every once in a while, Jesus would perform a miracle and heal somebody. He'd say, oh, yeah, and by the way, your sins are forgiven as well. They didn't believe him when he said it. No one would have taken him seriously, and his words would have never survived the first century because only a crazy man would claim to be able to forgive other people's sins against other people. And there's another reason Jesus had to die. Here's the reason Jesus had to come in a baby body. Here's the reason God sent his son into the world to grow up among us as one of us, to die such a violent death and to demonstrate it, his death, public death in front of so many people and for it to be documented to the point where we are still talking about it today. Here's why. Because God is the author of life. Life is sophisticated. Life is complicated. Your cells are smarter than your brain. Your body is doing things you don't even understand. In fact, for generations and generations, our bodies were doing things we didn't even, we didn't even understand germs for hundreds of thousands of years, right? We're, we're, just, we're just trying to figure out the way the body works. God is the author of life. And so often we ignore the gift of life and we waste the gift of life. We have so little regard for life. Because if we valued life and understood where our life came from, we should get up and just say, God, thank you for my life. Yes, whatever the question is, yes. How in the world could I say no to God who gave me my life? How in the world could I resist God who gave me life? How in the world could I resist the will of God who gave me the opportunity to live? And yet we do it every single day. We, we sin. We owe him our lives. But God demonstrates, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died in our place. Christ died for us. We deserve to give up the thing most valuable to us because we have been so disrespectful to the giver of life. Andy Stanley says, Jesus' death demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude, the severity of our offense. We disregard the author of life. We, we abused the supplier. We deserve to lose the supply, but, but Jesus' death demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude, and his death demonstrated the magnitude of his love for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God needed Christmas. God needed Christmas to demonstrate and document his love for this rebel race. Otherwise, how would we have ever known? So when the time had fully come, when everyone had given up hope, when nobody was looking for it, when the set time had fully come, when the Roman Empire had laid the groundwork for the message to be distributed, when the temple system had fallen in and, and sort of was so corrupted that it was hard to even take seriously. And people thought, well, if that's what God is like, there is no more God. When the set time had fully come, a Jewish carpenter, discovers his fiance is pregnant and he's trying to figure out what in the world do I do about this? And what in the world do I do with, with her? Do, do I shame her? Do I, do I protect her? Do I lie? Do, do I marry her? Do I tell her mother what 
in the world do I do about this? The, the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, that bewildered Jewish carpenter, and he said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has seen you. God has heard you. God has loved you. And he knows exactly what you and I need and want. He knows exactly the gift that you and I need because on Christmas, he came to be with us. He demonstrated his love for us because we need a demonstration. Words aren't enough. Signs aren't enough. Prophets and scripture aren't enough. So he became a demonstration of his own love. God needs Christmas because he wants you to know that he loves you. You may feel like God has never seen you, but that's why there's Christmas. You may feel like God has never heard you, but that's why there's Christmas. God needed Christmas to show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. Who needs Christmas? God needs Christmas. And maybe this is something you're hearing for the first time or maybe being reminded of it, and you just need to hold on to. And you need to say, if there's a God who will demonstrate his own love for me, who, who hears me, who, who heard me and saw me, in fact, he became like me so that he would know what I'm going through and be able to solve the problem that I could never solve, if he's willing to do that, then I'm willing to give him my life. And if that's you, I'm so happy that you get to make that choice. I'm so happy that you get to receive the gift that God has given you, the gift that you need the most. And, and I would encourage you, just as you're sitting there right now watching this wherever you're at, that you would say, God, I give you my life. And if you say, God, I give you my life, well, then that's what a Christian is. It's just all of us trying to give our lives back to God and follow him. God needed Christmas so that he could demonstrate his love for you.